From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Delaware County judge has issued a ruling prohibiting the city of Columbus from enforcing its unlawful magazine and gun storage laws. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against the ATF on their definition of bump stocks as machine guns. And have you joined Second Call Defense yet? It may be the difference between going to jail and going free after a self-defense shooting. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, an attorney specializing in firearms law and co-founder of Second Call Defense. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Dean, thanks for having me once again. Well, Sean, it's been a while since you've been here, so I'm just kind of wondering what you've been up to uh in the interim, I mean, it's been like a year or so. Have you taken any hunting trips or racked up any more speeding tickets? I think mostly I've been staying pretty close to home, uh, uh, dealing with uh, the little finite instances of law, dealing with uh, firearms in, in the state of Ohio and certainly all over the country in federal court. It's amazing how we think we've clarified the law, but there still seems to be problems. Every, every, uh, every turn we take, someone tries to object, and I think that's partly why we're here today. Well, and then we also heard recently that uh, there might be some uh, law enforcement education that is incorrect on the law because it's changed so much. And so we're looking into that, trying to find out what's being taught to law enforcement. And then maybe we might have to go to the uh, attorney general and see if we can have some clarifying information sent out. You know, Dean, that's not that unusual. Uh, part of the work that I do is on a regular basis, I'll take phone calls from sheriff deputies, from police officers throughout the state of Ohio, uh, especially when laws have changed dealing with firearms, and they ask me questions at any time of the day or night. And that's the problem is the laws change so quickly or change so often sometimes that these police officers don't have the proper training. They want to do the right thing and they want to they want to uh, enforce the law properly, especially when it comes to law-abiding gun owners. But they just don't have the information, unfortunately. And and I think uh, uh, Buckeye Firearms came out with some information where flat out they're being given the wrong information. So I, I wanted you on the podcast because, again, it's been a while and I wanted to talk about Second Call Defense, which is a company that you co-founded. But before we get to that, since you're an attorney and you're here, there have been a couple rulings recently and I wanted to get your take on that. The first one is this ruling that came out of Delaware County, out of the Delaware County Common Pleas Court. Judge Gormley, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, David Gormley, recently issued a ruling prohibiting the city of Columbus from enforcing its unlawful ordinances that would outlaw the so-called high-capacity magazines and implement gun storage restrictions. Now, Sean, this is good news for Columbus residents with magazines that can hold 30 or more rounds because they've been facing a deadline of July 1st to get rid of those magazines or face up to a year in jail. Literally, you can go to jail for having those magazines. But the judge specifically granted a preliminary injunction. Now, I don't think most of our listeners are attorneys. 
Can you explain what a preliminary injunction means? Yeah, basically the judge has is, is ruled that up until the point in time for now, everything is status quo. We're not going to change anything yet. We're going to wait for a, a final uh, resolution of the case before the court. And generally speaking, when you get a preliminary injunction, that's that's almost 99.9% of the time the way the judge is going to go. Uh, so it's essentially the, the law is secure in that place. But the preliminary injunction is saying, hey, there's going to be too much harm done by enforcing this unconstitutional in our, in our aspect, this illegal uh, law in violation of 9.68 right now. So let's wait till the resolution of the case. But until we get to that point in time and the court rules, nothing's going to change. You're not going to take, uh, you're not going to have people turn in 30 round magazines. You're not going to ban these things. Everything remains a status quo. The judge said the preliminary injunction will remain in effect until it's dissolved or the judge himself modifies it or the case is resolved on the merits. So I just want to be clear on what all that means. What what does it mean to dissolve an injunction? Well, the judge is going to come to the determination for whatever reason that the injunction uh, doesn't need to be in place anymore because there's a final ruling in the case. There's a final ruling on the merits. Uh, and so the judge has the right to dissolve that because he uh, he created the uh, the temporary injunction so we can dissolve it and say, you know what, we're going to enforce the law according to 968 the way it is right now. There's no magazine restrictions. There's no assault weapons ban. There's no whatever else you're trying to come up with. So the judge can do that because the judge granted it. And when it when it's time for us to be over and, and the regular law takes place, then that's, that's the situation where they can dissolve it. And of course, when it's resolved on its merits, the case is over with. And uh, uh, the case went uh, according to the way 9.68 was written uh, to be that, that you can't ban magazine capacities or assault weapons. So people with uh, these magazines with 30 or more rounds or people who, uh, you know, maybe don't want to store their firearms in the way that Columbus wants them to, they're off the hook for the moment. In other words, that July 1st deadline no longer applies as long as this injunction stays in place, correct? That's correct, and I don't see any reason why the, the injunction won't remain in place the way it stands, because what it's doing essentially is protecting the status quo and protest, protecting all those innocent law-abiding citizens that are owning something they legally have a right to own, which is a 30-round magazine or a 40-round magazine or whatever it is. So, Sean, here's the part I'm confused about. So, Columbus is suing the state over preemption, and the Buckeye Institute is suing Columbus. So, there are two different cases, but the Columbus suit is now in two counties, and the Buckeye suit is in a third county. So, how do these cases and jurisdictions interact? There are three judges involved, uh, three different jurisdictions, two different cases. What's going on with this? How does this get worked out? There, well, there's a number of different things that can be done. I mean, the cases could all be joined, uh, or the cases can all independently be brought to resolution. Uh, and then if if they all have the same resolution, every, every judge determined and, and interpreted 9.68 or interpreted the laws the same, then everything moves forward. But if one of the courts says, you know what, uh, we agree there's a magazine capacity ban and the two others go the opposite direction, then uh, there's a conflict within the districts and there has to be a, uh, a motion to certify the record filed. And that's sent to the Supreme Court because obviously the uh, the court of the land is a court of appeals in, in each county uh, that you're in. But then when it goes above that, uh, 
it's the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court has to make the decision because you have two different counties ruling on the same law differently. And so now there's confusion. Nobody knows what to do. So it goes up to the Supreme Court on the motion to certify the record, and the Supreme Court will give us the final say on what the law is. So you're fairly confident then that this is going to go to the Ohio Supreme Court? If I'm confident it will go that way if if the, the three different courts rule differently. And um, generally speaking, whenever you get a, a, a preliminary or temporary injunction out there, uh, that's they, the case is pretty much decided along that way. The judge is doing that because, hey, wait a minute. Uh, the assault weapons ban will not stand or the, the magazine capacity ban will not stand. And so that's why they're coming out with a, the preliminary injunction or the temporary injunction. And so if, in fact, three courts are different in any way, it could be two to one, one, one to two, whatever way it is they will go to the Supreme Court. So rest assured it has to, because we can't have a state of Ohio where uh, there's differing laws, because again, we have preemption 9.68 says the law is the same. So Franklin County can't have a different law uh, than anywhere else in any other county, whether it's Butler County, whether it's Cuyahoga County, it all has to be the same. And if it's different, then the Supreme Court has has the final decision to tell us what the law is. Now, this is not just happening in Columbus because Cincinnati has also passed some laws focusing on mandatory storage. They didn't get into the magazines, but they're suing Ohio as well. So that's yet another case. And that has to be dealt with as, an, as another case, right? So yeah, here's, right. Here's, here's a question. If this does go to the Supreme Court, can the Supreme Court basically just you know, wave their magic wand and, and and decide all of these cases all at once. They can pull everything together if they're if they're dealing with the same thing. They have the power to do that to consolidate all those cases. Uh, and certainly you can consolidate those cases under 9.68 and they can make the rulings there. And expeditiously, that's probably the, the best way for them to do it. But again, when Buckeye Farms Association or the foundation sued the city of Cincinnati successfully for their bump stock ban and their trigger modifier ban, it was important to remember that uh, we all knew that they were they, they were breaking the law doing that, but they they just filed those lawsuits, whether it's a, a Bloomberg-based lawsuit or whatever it is. Uh, they just try to chip away at it and 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 try to win. But I think politically, mostly, they're just trying to, to act like they're doing something. And, and I can't believe that that certainly any city solicitor, any of the county attorneys are going to know that 968 is clear in what they're saying. And so uh, they're, they're, they're filing these lawsuits, passing these bad laws as a political challenge. Yeah, and they're not going to give up. I mean, whatever decision is out there, they're going to appeal it. That's why I've been thinking that it's probably going to end up in the Supreme Court. But I again, I'm just, I've been confused because there's so many different iterations of this case, you know, all of these together, four different counties. Right. I, I've just never, I've never seen that, but they're all essentially the same issue. Right. And so they can consolidate those issues. And, and probably I, I would imagine the Supreme Court would want to do that unless there's something different, uh, markedly different within one of these case actions. And they might separate that or, or peel that out from the rest of them. But generally speaking, the Supreme Court's going to want to try to take care of all these at once. And, and they'll, they'll join or combine these cases if at all possible. And then, Sean, there's this other ruling that recently came out as well out of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals that ruled against the uh, ATF on the matter of bump stocks. Now, this goes back to the Las Vegas concert murders where the guy supposedly used bump stocks and fired into a crowd. 
and the ATF suddenly decided that bump stocks are machine guns. And the Sixth Circuit has finally come out with a ruling and says, no, you can't make the law like that. That's not your job. And so now we have contradictory rulings because other circuits have ruled differently. So what does all that mean, Sean? Are bump stocks legal again or what? Oh, it depends what district you're in right now. And that's why, again, it has to go forward and someone has to settle this issue. Now, what the ATF has been using when they ban bump stocks, when they ban arm braces, which are currently doing, and trigger and binary triggers, they're using something called the Chevron deference. Chevron was a environmental law case filed with the EPA. And the court way back, probably a decade or two ago, decided, well, if the government agency like the EPA is making a decision that that daily they normally do, they don't need to go to Congress to change the law, so to speak, or to make this decision because it's something they regularly do within the regular course uh, of their business. But um, all of a sudden, when the ATF is deciding to change the definition of a machine gun to include a uh, a bump stock or change the definition of a machine gun to include a binary trigger that clearly doesn't meet the definition because it's more than one pull of the trigger, well, then they've been violating the Chevron deference. And what's interesting, Dean, was last week the United States Supreme Court came out with a ruling that defined Chevron and ruled against the United States EPA and said, wait a minute, under Chevron, you can't do this. And I believe that the part of the reason why they did this is they know they have the arm brace coming up and they know they have bump stocks coming up. So they've clarified the issue in this case last week. And finally, when it, when it gets heard, now that's the new law of the land, the way you uh, define Chevron deference and apply it, I think things are going to change for the good for us gun owners. As well, it should. It's not tricks. It's just a proper interpretation of, of what the court meant when it said, you know, if it was something you do in a gen- everyday business, you, you can make those changes. But these are wholesale changes that completely change the way things have been defined. When you've been telling people for decades on a number of opinions and letters that you as an ATF have written that, yes, you can have these bump stocks, no problem. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up in the morning and say, you know what? They're illegal. If you have them, you're a felon. And and, and that's what the court's going to rule on. And the Supreme Court uh, will finally have to settle all these because there's districts throughout the United States that are all ruling differently. And a lot of that has to do. Also, with New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin, that, the case and what Thomas did, uh, when you consider if a, a law is constitutional or not, has really changed a lot of things. And I think that's why we're starting to highlight all these minutiae or all these different things within the law, because uh, Thomas made it clear that it has to be the general history of the Second Amendment has to support the law that you have. And essentially, if it wasn't the law in 1791, it can't be the law today, if you want to, in short. So I'm not familiar with the schedule of the United States Supreme Court. How how long would you guess that it would take for this to get to the court, and when would they decide? I mean, what what is their, because they've got an an unusual schedule, like when they start and when they end. They can expedite matters and take care of matters as, as they see fit. Certainly, that's in their purview. And I would think on this, there is so much difference right now that there has to be a ruling on it. And like I said, I think last week's decision kind of helps them uh, 
rule on bump stocks, uh, binary triggers, arm braces, and a slew of issues dealing with firearms. So I think it's going to be much sooner than, than later because they can take that as a direct appeal because, again, you have you have courts in conflict. The law is, is essentially in disarray. Nobody knows what the law is. Well, what district I'm in? Oh, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati. I'm in the 6th district, so I can have a bump stock. Well, wait a minute. But I'm in the, the 10th district in California. I can't have a bump stock. So that that's that's what they have to um, d- uh, decide and 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 make clear for everybody. So the Supreme Court will he- hear that sooner rather than later. Well, that's going to be interesting if uh, if it does go to the U.S. Supreme Court and Thomas writes that decision. We'll we'll see just how surly he becomes because he really dropped the hammer in Bruin. That was an excellent decision. I mean, even a lay person like me really enjoyed reading it because you know he was like wrapping their knuckles with a ruler, telling lower courts to stop messing around. And, you know, and he did that, and and it, it's, I guess, because we're on the, the quote-unquote right side of the issue, of course we love that, but that's the way any opinion should be, and that's the way a judge should be. And Justice Thomas certainly uh, looked at the plain meaning of the law and applied it for the first time and said, you know, wait a minute, we haven't been paying attention to all these rules and all these laws that they passed, including the 1968 Gun Rights Act, because that's a lot of what Bruin uh, is destroying right now is, is is 922 of the 18 U.S.C. 922 is all the Gun Rights Act. It's disseminating parts of that because they didn't apply and they shouldn't apply. So, and, and like you said, it'll be interesting to see what happens when all this gets there. But I, I can't imagine, based on last week's opinion, it's not going to go, quote-unquote, our way. So, Sean, let's uh, get to the subject matter that I originally in- invited you on the uh, podcast for, and that's Second Call Defense. You're a co-founder of Second Call Defense, and this all started, wow, it's been like, what, 10 years now, back in 2013? Right. C- can you need to be transparent, Dean. You're also a co-founder of Second Call Defense. Well, I was I, I was invited on board, sure, uh, and, and we started it way back then and started working on the website and going to, uh, in fact, uh, when we went to NRA recently, we were there, and uh, I, I, it seems like the most of the times that I've been to NRA, it's when I've been working a booth. Right. You know, not just being there, being able to enjoy it. So, so uh, it's probably a different experience for you, and it's oh, yeah. pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I kept talking to people about the carpet. You know, it's not <laughs> like saying, "Man, when you when you get a booth, you got to get the double carpet. It's worth it." You know, and just because standing there, you know, all that time. But Sean, uh, let's just start at the beginning. What is Second Call Defense? Well, Second Call Defense is is a membership program that we came up with because we realized that someone who uses a firearm in self-defense, a law-abiding citizen who uses a firearm in self-defense is oftentimes being persecuted instead of prosecuted. The fact that they used a firearm in self-defense puts them in a bad light. And we decided that there had to be a better way. So we offered somebody 24-hour, seven-day-a-week emergency contact to an attorney if you ever use a firearm in self-defense. So uh, primarily, if you're forced to use any weapon in self-defense, whether it's a knife, a club, or a firearm, then you make the 911 call to summon help. And then the next call or the second call should be the second call defense where you get yourself personal help, where you'll have an attorney on the line and available to you 24 hours a day to, to remind you uh, of, of the proper things that you did to step in on your behalf if need be and talk to the police officers. And I've talked to second call defense members in the back of police cruisers while they're investigating the scene from an interrogation room in downtown Columbus 
Uh, you name it, I've talked to Senko Defense numbers, members at, at our, hours of the day and night. So it was important to, to have the ability to have immediate contact with the attorney as soon as, as, soon as you possibly can uh, for any number of reasons. And then as you move down uh, through the course of, of legal proceedings, uh, we make sure that you have uh, the best attorney available in the jurisdiction where this took place. The attorney is paid for. We have bond money available to make sure we get you out of jail as soon as possible. We have expert witnesses uh, on your behalf. Uh, and any number of things from and from trigger to trial, we protect our members every step of the way, so they're never alone in this process. So, Sean, where did you get the idea for Second Call Defense? Because ten years ago, I seem to remember there was very little like this out there. There, there might have been one organization that offered you sort of like a stipend to pay for some attorney fees, but there was not any really membership type organization. Nothing like Second Call Defense that had all of these different benefits and basically, as you said, would do a trigger to trial protection. Where did the idea come from? I'm also a, uh, an NRA instructor. I uh, do basic pistol, rifle, and shotgun. And I also taught classes for so you could basic pistol so you could get your concealed carry permit in the state of Ohio. I taught a class. I had a young man, probably 21, 22 years old, who took my class. Two weeks later, I get a call on a Friday afternoon, Friday evening, because he's been involved in an incident where he was forced to brandish his handgun. Uh, I represented him, walked into court with him, and realized immediately because he was, had a firearm, he was wrong immediately. And so we won that case and took it all away from start to finish. That same evening, uh, I walked door to door to dozens of relatives, friends, and individuals that this young man knew with his wife and, and baby and two-year-old kid to make sure we could get bond money uh, because I knew he wouldn't be the same individual after spending a weekend in Butler County Jail and maybe getting out on Monday. And I, I went home that night and said, you know what, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way that we can provide our members or create an organization where we can provide members with the best of everything I would want them to have, my clients to have as an attorney. I want them to have immediate bail money. I want to have money for retainers. So whatever attorney they choose has the money to keep working and going forward. I want to have psychological counseling for these people because good, bad, or indifferent, when you take a human life or are forced to defend yourself, you may have problems. And I just wanted everybody to have uh, the best that, that any client of mine could have. And that's how uh, Second Call Defense came together with you and, and a couple other partners where we continue to improve this hasn't went along. Sean, can you walk us through a scenario? Um, you know, let's say, for example, that I'm in a grocery store parking lot. I'm loading bags of grapefruit and broccoli into the trunk. Somebody attacks me. I'm forced to use lethal force and self-defense. How does Second Call Defense work if I'm a member? If you're a member at that point in time, uh, I'm going to make some assumptions. Let's assume that uh, you've stopped the threat and that you make the 911 call. You call the police officers or you get security within the store, wherever you are. You inform them that, that, that you were forced to defend yourself. Uh, you're forced to use a firearm self-defense or a knife or whatever you use and that you're in fear of death or serious bodily injury or harm and 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 you need help. Uh, you make the 911 call and you summon the ambulance, you summon police officers, and then you immediately call a second call defense where you'll be put in contact with an attorney who will listen to what happened, will be with you on the phone every step of the way what happens, and then if you're arrested, we'll provide you with immediate bail money and immediate access to an attorney in your area. 
whether that's an attorney that's going to meet you at the police station and the interrogation room, that's going to meet you a couple of days later, but you're going to have immediate protection there. So yeah, you've used self-defense, you've called 911, you've summoned help, and you call nine and you call a second call defense so we can take care of what certainly become come uh, at you. And make no mistake about it, there's going to be an investigation. There has to be. There's going to be questions asked to you. There has to be. And that's when you need protection because for several reasons, uh, the psychological and physical aspects of a threatening encounter, you're not going to remember what happened. You're going to have tachyplasty. You're not going to be able to hear things properly. You're not going to remember things. The stress causes a lot of problems. So really, at the at the time they want you to make a statement is the worst time for you to make a statement because you really don't know what happened because of everything. So second call defense and their attorneys come in, step in in your place, slow the system down, and, uh, and walk you through everything so we can properly defend you and your actions. Now, this is a membership, right? So in other words, you, you join, you pay a monthly or annual fee, and then everything is paid for if you have legal issues related to self-defense. Is that right? That's correct. And we never ask for reimbursement like other people do. Uh, you make your monthly payments, whatever level you're on, and we provide you with the same criminal defense. It doesn't matter what your level is. Civil defense will change according to your level, but you're always going to have the same criminal defense available to you. And uh, uh, no matter what happens, someone's going to be there to protect you every step of the way. And how much does it cost, like at the lowest level? Well, there are like three or four different levels, right? Yeah. And it can be from uh, nine ninety five to thirty five ninety five. Uh, from the basic level to the ultimate. Now we all, we recently put an ultimate plus back out there. So you have a, a unlimited civil defense coverage, for instance, and a million dollars worth of damages. So the civil end will increase uh, according to, to your level, but the, the criminal is always the same. We're always going to make sure that you're protected criminally. How much can it cost? I mean, if you don't, uh, this is a membership where you're paying sort of a regular monthly fee or you pay annually a fairly reasonable amount. But if you don't have something like this and you're just getting a lawyer after the fact, how much can that add up to? You know what? Depending upon what the case is, uh, it can be extremely high. I can tell you uh, we had a, a, a member in California just outside of L.A. and was probably in the wrong county to have a firearm. He used self-defense against the neighbor that was attacking him and everything was on film. So you would think that clearly... Our second call defense member was in the right, but he was um, uh, arrested, arrested for first degree murder and thrown in jail. And every attorney that we talked to and every attorney that he referred us to, his family picked the attorney, wanted $100,000 up front immediately. And second call defense stroked the $100,000 check for our member. And he was acquitted of every charge involved except for using the wrong kind of ammunition because he was in California. Yeah, how many people have $100,000 just burning a hole in their pocket, Sean? Well, and that's it. And that's why I say hardly anybody does. But even if you do, why use your money? Why don't you join at $19.95 a month or whatever level you want to join at and use our money? Let us pay for, to bond you out. Let us pay for your attorney. Let us find your attorney. Let us protect you civilly. Don't Don't put that burden on yourself. There's no reason to do that because we're here for you. So, Sean, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the website right now, uh, since you were mentioning the benefits. Can you kind of walk us through this? Because it's uh, everything's really well organized. I'm looking at secondcalldefense.org, and there's a section where all the different uh, membership levels are outlined. 
Uh, four different levels, entry level, full protection, premium protection, elite protection, and kind of walk us through what all this means. So you can add, for example, you can add a spouse, right? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. You, you can add your spouse for three, four, five, six dollars a month if you do it on a monthly basis or the equal amount uh, yearly. Very inexpensive to add a spouse because we, we took the position that, generally speaking, uh, you're working together. So if, if one spouse is using self-defense to protect the other spouse, then the other spouse is probably going to need protection also. So we offer uh, both uh, the, the wife and the husband uh, equal protection and the spouse for, for a fraction of the cost. Uh, we provide uh, immediate uh, um, criminal protection, whether it's bond money uh, or it's money for an investigation. Then we offer money for immediate retainer fee. No matter what your retainer is, we mentioned $10,000 to start with, but we have, you know, we have the precedent where there's people that demanded $100,000 up front, non-refundable, and we stroke that check. Also, as you go for that, you had to pay for expert witnesses. You go forward, you have to pay for an investigation, and then the trial's over. Well, after the trial is over, there's still some states that don't have organizations like Buckeye Farms Association, and they can still be under attack civilly. And when that comes into play, immediately upon notice that you're being sued civilly, uh, second call defense has up to unlimited amount of civil defense protection available for you. It has money for damages if damages are ruled against you uh, and, and beyond. Now, a lot of people probably don't understand that you can be sued criminally or, or prosecuted criminally, and then you could be sued civilly. So you could get off on criminal charges, and then the family could come back and sue you in civil court and win. Right. As a perfect example, let's look at Kyle Rittenhouse. Very high pub, uh, publicized trial, criminal trial. We all know that he was acquitted. We all know he did everything he had a right to do. But guess what? He's battling two civil trials filed against him now from uh, uh, family members of the individuals that he successfully defended himself from and was acquitted criminally. But that doesn't stop them from civilly suing uh, Kyle. And so he's going through that now also at the same time. So often, oftentimes you have the criminal trial and you're out of jail, but now they're trying to take your assets from you. They're trying to take what's yours. And that's what we want to prevent against also. Well, and even if you win, even if you win every single case, you're still having to pay attorney's fees. Exactly. That's what people don't realize. And it, it can be a hundred thousands of dollars. Uh, immediate, if you have an attorney available immediately, things, uh, I believe, always stay cheaper. That just because you have an immediate protection criminally and then uh, going into civilly, things stay manageable. But if things get out of control, you know, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. When you're walking into a criminal defense uh, office and they want $30,000 to start with just to sit down and talk to you, or uh, you're dealing with a civil case that can last multiple years, you're talking about thousands upon thousands of dollars. And I don't I don't know anybody who has that. You know what's going to happen? For most people, they're going to be cashing in 401ks. They're going to be borrowing money. They're going to be getting second mortgages on their house. And that often happens. So just be prepared and be ready for whatever the monthly fee is and then have second call defense be available to take care of you for the criminal defense and then the civil defense because we can take care of it all. And you don't have to go bankrupt to protect yourself and to keep yourself out of jail and, and to save your assets. Now, when you're in a civil trial, do they look at the assets you have and then decide? Oh, I mean, so if you have, if you have you know, a million dollars, they're going to try to take a million dollars from you. 
Oh, absolutely. The civil attorney and their depositions are going to find out. They're going to get records. They're going to get bank records. They're going to get all the information they have of what your assets are. And then they're going to go after your assets. And I think I, if you're if you're dirt poor and don't have anything, the chances of a of a civil attorney going after you if you have no money and you have no assets are, are probably slim to none. Because let's face it, the only reason why a civil attorney is going after you is to get that 33 and the third when they win. Because they get paid when you lose. Now, there's some interesting things on all of these different membership levels, training and education, local attorney referral, gun retrieval or replacement. Now, I know that's a, a big problem sometimes. Even if you've done everything right, sometimes they'll just take your firearms and you never get them back. You know, we've had, um, I have several different scenarios where that's come into play. We had a gentleman in, in Philadelphia an elderly gentleman in his 70s uh, who was attacked riding his bike home from work, used his firearm uh, in self-defense to protect himself. The Philadelphia police showed up a couple hours later. I was on the phone with him. They seized his firearm and didn't charge him, but told him they weren't going to give his firearm back, And but he could file a, file a case and file an action to get his firearms back. Well, the filing fee was $4,000. Well, he, his firearm was a $400 firearm, so we simply bought him a new firearm. Uh, and then we had a, a, a member who was uh, at work, used his firearm in self-defense. There was uh, two bad people. He uh, he dispatched the one that was attacking him, and his uh, accessory ran away. It's a small town in Ohio. His accessory knows who he is, and uh, the case is still open because they're still going after the accessory. So he didn't get his gun back. Well, we bought him a new gun because there's an accessory in a small town who knows who he is and that he killed his, his at least his buddy and partner in crime. And so we, we uh, immediately purchased a new firearm for him. And we had another case where uh, there was an, a negligent discharge in a hotel room in the state of Colorado. Colorado came in and investigated. There was no injuries, but they took her gun forever, and we replaced her gun. So those are different situations where we've replaced firearms because things like that have happened. Now, Sean, the nice thing about joining Second Call Defense is when you join, and and you guys know that uh, Buckeye Firearms Association recommended them, they'll actually make a donation back to BFA, right? So when you sign up, uh, the way I understand it, there's a promo code on the sign-up form, and you just have to put BFA for Buckeye Firearms Association in that promo code, and our organization gets credit. doesn't cost any more, but you'll actually make a donation back to Buckeye Firearms Association, so you're getting all that protection, plus you're helping us out as well. That's exactly right. We uh we give a uh, a donation back to Buckeye Farms Association for referring uh, uh the customer and for another reason is that we all are protected by the same laws and the same rights and in the state of Ohio certainly there's no better uh, people out there than Buckeye Farms Association and as part of what they do for us we want to make sure they protect our rights uh, from a different standpoint and a different aspect and we donate that money back to to Buckeye Farms Association. Sean, what's the worst situation that someone has ever faced who's been a second call defense member? Can you tell us a story about somebody who had to defend themselves and were just in a really bad situation and you helped them out? Uh, we had a gentleman who stopped by a food truck uh, in a major city uh, to buy he and his girlfriend uh, some food before he went home from work. 
Uh, he was sitting in the car waiting for his food to be repaired. He was approached by two individuals who asked them to drive his car behind the building he was at so they could jump his car. He, his The hair stand stood up in his arms, and he knew better, but they kept pleading. And being a good Samaritan, he went back there. Uh, as he got in the trunk, he was pistol whipped. He drew. He turned around to draw his firearm, and he was shot at three times. He pulled his firearm successfully and shot twice and killed his assailant. Uh, went back to the front and was immediately uh, uh, the investigation started by homicide detectives. Uh, he had nobody to talk to at that point in time, no access to a telephone, and he shows up in the in the homicide detectives interrogation room and called me on a, on a phone they finally gave him because they wanted to ask him questions. And he handed them a second call defense card that says, I won't say anything essentially until I talk to my attorney. And so the homicide detectives wanted to get things moving along. Uh, he just certainly didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, I was on uh, the emergency hotline that night. The, the homicide detectives called me. I asked them to excuse themselves. And I spoke to my client, talked to them and got them back in. They only had a few questions to ask because Basically, everything was on um, was on uh, film. They came back, asked them those questions, which I knew they were going to ask. We answered them, and that's all they had. And I asked the police to drive my client home for safety, and they did. Uh, and uh, in that situation, no charges were filed against him, and there was accomplices that charges were filed against. And that was a situation where he goes out to give his girlfriend something to eat, and before he knows it, he's in, he's in a police interrogation room because someone's dead and someone's been killed. So, you know, a lot of times I think people assume that the worst thing that happens is you get convicted, uh, you know, when you've defended yourself, you get thrown in jail, you get civilly sued. But really, the punishment sometimes is the process itself, even if you get off. So it seems to me, if you're a second call defense member, that one of the best things it does, it just handles that process for you, makes it short, you know, dispenses with with a lot of the, the questioning and the problems that you might have, uh, helps you not say things that are going to get you in trouble. In other words, it short circuits that punishment of the process, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there's another situation where a second call defense member had used lethal force and self-defense and called me from the back of a cruiser. Uh, he still had his phone. They put him in the back of the police car, probably for his own safety, but so they could process the crime scene. And so he's in the back of this cruiser for 55 minutes, over an hour, talking to me on the telephone. Uh, they, I, they probably didn't care, but we we spoke about uh, what happened for, for for 55 minutes. We talked about everything. And then we just talked about fishing and anything else to calm him down. And I knew that the police were going to come back and there was going to be a process to go through. But I made sure that he was educated at that same time. And I said, hey, when they get back, they're going to ask you uh, the, to answer questions. You're going to simply tell them that, you know, the bad guy that's down there, he he was who attacked you when you were forced to use self-defense because you were in fear for your life. And then when your attorney gets in town or when we can show up tomorrow with your attorney, you'll answer all the questions. Things went exactly like you said. I, I, I told him on the telephone. I told the police officers. I said, he told you who attacked him. You, you obviously, you saw the evidence. He was in fear for his life. And he really needs to get home and decompress. And we'll see you tomorrow morning. And, uh, and, and in that case, that's the way it went. And really, in most cases, that's the way it goes. Once an attorney is injected in this situation, because law enforcement knows that there's a process that has to take place. Obviously, sometimes for expediency manners, they want to kind of speed up that process and get to cut to the chase. 
But as an attorney, you don't let them do that. You make them go through the process and make sure that our second call defense members are protected every step of the way, uh, both procedurally and constitutionally. Well, uh, Sean, I hope I'm never in that situation. But, uh, you know, you never know. It doesn't matter where you live. Something bad can happen. It sounds like second call defense is uh, probably a pretty good idea for everybody. And just one more time, go to secondcalldefense.org, right? That's and correct. there's a there's a form there. You just click a button, a form comes up, and you fill out the information to join. Put BFA in the promo code box. Again, it doesn't cost you one penny more. And then they'll make a donation back to us to help us defend your rights as they're defending you legally if you ever get in a uh, self-defense problem. So, um, Sean, is there anything else that you want to tell people about Second Call? Well, I can tell you also that, uh, and, and I know he's probably too bashful to tell you that, but Dean Dean has been a member of Second Call Defense for probably nearly ten years. And so, Dean, I appreciate the fact that that you that you uh, that you have handed your liberty to me to protect you, and I will continue to protect you day and night. Sean, thanks for spending some time with us and all your penetrating uh, conversation on the uh, podcast. In fact, thanks for everything that you do for Second Call Defense, your firearms legal practice, your support of youth programs, rights here in Ohio, and just everything. I really think you're a force for good in this state. Well, thank you, Dean. I appreciate it. And 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 that's how we met uh, because we're both on the same fight. We're both doing the same things. And, and of course, I and, and nobody that's listening to you right now can say enough about Buckeye Farms Association and what you've done for the state of Ohio. And I can tell you that there's not a there's not a day that goes by that I'm not talking to somebody from another state that says I I wish we had Buckeye Farms in, in our state. So you get you guys are a testament uh, for the good and for the protection of people's firearms rights. And thank you. Well, Sean, thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon. We'll see you later, Dean. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.